Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today I have a special guest and an old friend of mine. He is a student advisor in an LLPC. I have Mr. Caleb Boswell. How are you, Caleb? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I am very honored to have you. Thanks for being a participant. Um, so I'm going to jump in and start the way that I do with all of my guests, and that's by asking you, what is your labor of love? What is my labor of love? I would say that my labor of love is a combo of what I do, which is I work in a combination of higher ed and in mental health. Um, And I I think the thing that's crazy about it, when you say, when you ask me that question, um, is that I remember a year or so ago thinking, I'm just going to leave, I'm going to leave higher ed, I'm going to leave mental health, I'm going to take these degrees and, and, and do something else. And the crazy thing is, is that I saw other positions, I saw other job titles um, and things that I, I could do and things that I qualified for. Um, but at the end of the day, I could never sincerely answer the question, will I wake up and be happy doing this? Can I do it? Yeah. But will I be happy and passionate about doing it? Um, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that every day at work is, is, is rainbows and unicorns and everything is great. Um, but I'm thankful and I'm blessed that I don't hate what I do. Um, I don't hate my community and I don't hate going into the office. I don't hate, um, working with my students. And so, um, it's translated to, to doing other things outside of the office, um, as far as, uh, mental health presentations, um, different, different web things. So it's, it's, it's expanding outside my office, but I would definitely say that's, that's what my labor of love is. That's awesome. Um, and I'm glad you don't hate what you do. <laughs> that, that's a good thing. Um, you know, before we start recording, I think I shared with you that today was the first. So Sunday was the first time I dreaded a Monday in a mm-hmm. really, really long time. Mm-hmm. And I I definitely, I this is my labor of love. I love it. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. My boss is amazing. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, even with that, even though I'm passionate and I love it, and there are still some days where it's just like, oh, my goodness. You yeah, know, not today. It's just, yeah, there'll be some days where you just, you don't want to be bothered or you don't want to to tackle, tackle other people's stuff. I, I get it. I get yeah, it. you know, it's real. Um, but yeah, I, I very much like that you have been able to kind of combine these two things, um, higher ed and the mental health field. But take us on a little bit of a journey and tell us how you got here. Um, so, you know, something that'll probably come up later, but Caleb and I went to high school together. Um, and as we were catching up, like we haven't talked since high school. Like, not definitely, like yeah, we definitely kept in touch through social media. Yeah. It was like the first time we've talked um, yeah. in years. 
Yeah. So we keep up. We see what each other are doing. We always throw out our respect for one another. Um, but when we had our biggest laugh is when we thought about, like, we talk to each other and the first thing we go to is we go back to the shot put circle. <laughs> like, you know, track and field, that was our thing. Um, shout out to Beth Ann Mark, formerly Beth Ann Mark, if she listens to this. Like, we were this trio. Um, and so, you know, we go way back. But I definitely know that when I was in high school and when we were connected, I had no idea what uh, what I would do for work, what I wanted to do, really. I, I I just didn't have that conceptualized. Did you, and kind of what has your journey been that took you from kind of this small private high school outside of Detroit to where you are now? So I, I can honestly say that uh, in high school, I knew I wanted to be a therapist. Um, I knew coming out, you know, after walking that stage that I was going to go um, major in psychology. Um, but that was probably the only thing I did know. Everything else, uh, kind of, God had his had his own plan and, and took some other directions. And so, um, graduated, went to Central Michigan University, where I double majored um, in psychology and communications. Um, I kind of fell into my communication degree. Uh, we're required to take speech. I took that my my first semester. Ended up liking the class. Went to my advisor. Um, and at the time, the the degree wasn't called communications. That's why I couldn't find it. It was IPC at the time. Um, ended up taking that intro class my second semester of freshman year. And then I was kind of dumb my sophomore year, just kind of following the bulletin and not realizing the next class that I took was one of the hardest classes in the major. Long story short, I pulled off an incredible and, and super proud C in that <laughs> class. And when I made it through that class, uh, I was like, I might as well, if I can make it through this, I might as well just double major. And so I, I tackled on a double major. How did I get into higher ed? That also kind of just happened. Um, at the end of my junior year, um, I was like, all right, I'm about to, to graduate next year. I only had like retail and I had some experience where I worked at some plants, but I didn't have anything uh, career-wise experience on, on, my, on my resume. And so uh, through a good recommendation of a friend, um, I took a position with uh, CMU Upper Bound. And so Upper Bound is a, a pre-college program through the Department of Ed. It's for low-income or first-generation students. And so CMU's Upper Bound was linked with Detroit Northern High School. And so those students came to campus in the summertime for three weeks um, where they did classes and then they did social activities for those three weeks. And then their last week, they would go on a trip out of town and we would do a college tour and, and see other sites. And so I did that the summer of my junior year. That was just a super duper dope experience. Really enjoyed the students, really enjoyed the work I was doing. Um, because prior to that, the only thing that I thought I could do, um, and there's nothing wrong with this at all, but the only thing that I thought that I could do with my degree um, coming, out of, uh, coming out of undergrad was thinking that like if I went and worked for like youth services or juvenile detention or something like that, um, but this experience opened up my world to, to some other opportunities. So I completed my senior year. I graduated. The program asked me to come back and run the bridge program. And so those were for the, the graduating seniors. They were taking two college classes at, at CMU. And I oversaw that group uh, for the summer. And then I uh, was thoroughly unemployed <laughs> uh, <laughs> after, after the summer ended. So August came back to Detroit, came back to the crib, 
uh, was just trying to figure things out, trying to figure out work. Um, and then the crazy thing is um, that summer job ended up becoming my real job. And so the person who was the academic advisor uh, prior to me, she was in grad school and she was leaving uh, for another opportunity, literally hit me up and was like, yo, the students like you, um, Tisa likes you, you already have a, a kind of a know-how with a job. I just want to train you so you can take my take my position. And so literally January of that 06, um, I took over as an academic advisor for CMU Upper Bound and have been in the world of, of higher ed in some way, shape or form ever since. So I've worked for CMU. Um, I worked for EMU where I ran the gear up program for them out of Ipsy High. And then I worked at Wayne State for a little bit where I was um, academic advisor during my time at Wayne State. Um, well, during my time at Eastern and at Wayne State, Eastern, I started grad school. And then when I was at Wayne State, um, I completed my last my last year and a half uh, of my counseling program. I did some nonprofit work for a minute. And then I've been back uh, on the college with the college since 2016. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were things that were happening, but you had a kind of relatively straight trajectory. You know, it, that it, kind of put you it in these places. It, it kind of just happened because if you would have if you would have talked to me in high school, the plan was I'm going to, to school, I'm a major in psych, and then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go do somebody's clinical psychology program and get this PhD. And that was that was the road, that was the plan. Um, but what I realized in my psych program is that I only like half a psych. Come on, so me too. Like, <laughs> I only like like the the counseling and the, the feeling part. I didn't. I could care less about Skinner boxes and brain waves, and mm-hmm. it, I I didn't care about that at all. And so, when someone told me like, "Oh, you can go get a master's in counseling and still be a therapist," I was like, "Bet." Looked into it, and and that was the the plan that I was on. The other thing that I also like about um, counseling is that it allows me to to work both worlds. Like I said, I get to I get to do mental health, um, but a lot of stuff in higher ed asks for um, either a higher ed degree or um, a counseling degree. So it allows me to kind of tiptoe between both worlds. Nice. So I definitely want to come back to kind of that intersection and what that looks like in your world. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we do one, I want to say I feel you on that. So when I went to, I I actually have no idea um, how I end up majoring. Well, I didn't declare a major when I first went, you know, I was one of those people that was like, how am I supposed to know? Like I've never been here before. Um, So I waited to declare, um, but I, I knew it would probably be psych related. My dad was trying to push me towards business or computers, as he would Real say. Quick, yeah. And I wasn't. Did somebody um, try to tell you that psych ain't gonna make no money? Because that's, yeah, that's, that's what yeah, I got. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> that's it, you know, and no disrespect. Like, I know my dad's perspective was definitely, I mean, and it, it always was, he wanted me to be better than him, uh-huh. you know, and, and what that meant was make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he never discouraged me, it was constant, like, you sure? Business? Or computers. <laughs> That's where the money's at. So one, I get it. But as I was in psych, what I realized is like, I don't like all the psych. So I yeah. actually ended up being a general studies major, which allowed me to broaden my horizon so much. And I would never take it back. So that's awesome. When you said that, I'm like, yes, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I, didn't like, stuff I, I, care. like 
like learning the memory and like yeah you you push through it but i was like i don't care about none of this <laughs> I, I just didn't have interest the other thing i want to ask you about because i'm very intrigued and i've like shared on here before different aspects of my life and what i said is growing up i had no concept of what a therapist was so maybe if I knew, I would have thought, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. But outside of maybe a few references on television, I literally had no access to knowing what a therapist was. How did that come into your life? So in high, you know, by high school, yeah. what exposure had you had to kind of therapy or clinical psych or any of that? I think, I think, I think for me, um, and it's so funny because when I first started grad school, like the main thing that they that they pop us on our, our wrist for is like we don't give advice but so many of us kind of fall into the program because people kind of come to us you know to listen you know as a listening ear or for advice and i kind of feel like that i was that person like in my friend circle um and then like you say like tv so like i hadn't i had never been to a therapist or anything at that point um, but I just think that because I was kind of like the friend that people like kind of came to and um, would kind of give advice and stuff. I just like, oh, yeah, you know, off the dome, like, oh, I'm going to be a therapist. Um, didn't didn't really have a, a full understanding of what that was at 16, 17. Uh, but, you know, when you're at that age, you you kind of feel like, you know, you got to be with your peers and, and say, this is what I'm going to college and, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and to kind of have some kind of plan. Um, but I will say the more I went into it, the more I found out and realized, like, that's what I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So it, it was home for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can I can resonate with that. I was definitely um, that person in a lot of my circles, too. I mean, the back of my varsity jacket said mama. <laughs> that yeah that that's a whole nother episode y'all it's coming um but yeah i mean the point is um i definitely think that at least for me and it sounds like for you too mm-hmm. um therapist wasn't something we we kind of became it's something we were you know education mm-hmm. has helped um it's opened doors and opportunities but you know at least for me and like i said i feel like you're saying similar things you know that inside who we are is this you know, mm-hmm. is, is that. So I really appreciate that. So I do, I want to transition to you sharing a little bit about this intersection of higher ed and mental health. And I've thought about that as I've kind of followed your journey to the extent that I can on social media. Mm-hmm. And I think back to my time in college. So I went to the University of Michigan, go blue. And um, what I realize now is that I spent four years in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, a first generation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I don't know. Out. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting. We had the bridge program too. I didn't participate in bridge. Honestly, I don't know how, like it could have just been a deficit. There weren't many people who could guide me mm-hmm. along this. And I remember a good friend of mine went to the bridge program Um and, and, and I realized she got in it because her father advocated for her to get into it. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone to advocate because I didn't have anyone who knew. Right. Well, so right. again, you fall into that first generation for me, not just for, yeah, I didn't have anyone that I could reach out to and be like, Hey, what's this process like? 
Um, and then as I uncover my own developmental and relational trauma, I just realized that I, I was kind of in a traumatic haze Mm-hmm. for four years. And I learned some stuff. I went to classes. I quote unquote excelled because that's part of my survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the richness and fullness of the college experience, I can definitely say I didn't fully participate in because mm-hmm. I just, I, you, I couldn't thrive. I was surviving. Mm-hmm. But what I, what strikes me is it probably existed. I can't imagine a school like University of Michigan being there and not having mental health they do right like that just sounds stupid like i know they did (laughs) but the thing is it never made its way to me right right? it Mm -hmm. i was a a person who i think would have greatly benefited from some kind of mental health services someone to talk to someone to bring awareness like just this understanding Mm-hmm. of of what that is you know so may we're in mental health awareness month mm-hmm. and i i can't recall ever knowing about this kind of stuff so i one am just glad that you know it exists and that you're part of this process for young people mm-hmm. at various colleges so tell us a little bit about what that what that entails so like you i am a first gen student um i was raised by my great grandmother and I like you similar. It was just a lot of stuff that that I didn't know. And there were opportunities and, and money that I missed out on, that I qualified for, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, but I just simply didn't know. Um, you know, I tell people all the time about, you know, filling out my FAFSA. I remember coming home and my grandmother was like, yo, don't go to track practice uh, on this particular day. She reached out and she contacted because UD Mercy was was one of the schools I was thinking about. She had reached out to UD Mercy and made an appointment, and she was like, "I don't know how to fill it out. I'm looking at it like I don't know how to fill it out." And and being one of the first in my family, period, to go to college, it wasn't like I could be like, "Oh, yo, I'm gonna call my cousin so and so or or so and so and get this help." Um, so I remember, you know, her her telling me like, "Yo, don't go to track practice on this particular day. Um, I made an appointment for you." at UAD and I remember I, I left school, I swooped by the crib, I picked up her tax stuff and I went to UAD Mercy and they they financial aid office, you know what I'm saying, helped me fill out my FAFSA and, and submit it. Um experiences like that, I think when I first when I first first started working, um and I got into high school at Northern, one of the things that that drove me is I recognized like what I missed out on and the opportunities that I missed out on not because I was lazy, not because um, I wasn't trying, but just simply not knowing. And so, and so, for my students, I always tell them, "I'm, I'm gonna try to be um, for you who I needed when I was there." Um, and I'm always trying to give you know different opportunities and, and letting them know different things that are going on on campus, um, just so that they they don't have to go through and go like, "Dang, I didn't know about that," or "I, I wish somebody." Um, would have told me about those things because like you, like I said, as a first gen student, um, definitely probably wouldn't have had as many student loans as I have now. (laughs) Come on. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh. And so, um, the other thing that that's crazy is that, you know, even though I went to, even though I went to Catholic school my whole life, um, I only had two black male, two black male instructors, one in eighth grade and then 
Father L um, in high school. Uh, but, but like I said, I think the thing for me is that similar to you is that I, I was just trying to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? I did, I did undergrad blindly. It was just, it was just yeah. feeling around and I think I'm doing the right thing. And I think this is right. Um, and so now, you know, I try to, I try to be that light so that other people don't, don't have to do it, do it blindly. That's good. You, you said so much like <laughs> that I, that I want to dive into a little bit. Um, so one, as you were talking, you know, it, I started to think about our high school experience. And so mm-hmm. what I'll say is we went to a small Catholic high school. Um, and I, I always tell people like, okay, so I'll ask this, not, let me not assume. Were you Catholic? Caleb? No. Kindergarten through 12 for me, not because you're Catholic, but because growing up in Detroit during that time, you had limited options for what people perceived as good education. Right. And right. A, Catholic, a private school for us meant a Catholic school. Right. And so we went to Catholic. I went to Catholic school 12th through eighth grade. So I think about our high school experience. It was a small school, especially small compared to kind of the, the public schools around, but mm-hmm. even small in comparison to some of the other Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this to say, like, we got a decent education. <laughs> this is my yeah, perspective. <laughs> you definitely chime in with your perspective. You know, I think it achieved my parents' goal of not sending me directly to a public school that they had their perceptions about mm-hmm. um, because there were like three primary high schools in Detroit. And again, this is no diss. I'm not saying you couldn't get a good education otherwise, but at least the perception was there were three schools in Detroit high school wise that you could get mm-hmm. a good education to and you had to test into those schools or you went to a private school. Mm-hmm. And I know specifically for me that this was kind of the best school that they could send me to that they could afford. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and there were, there were ones on average, right? So there was us, we went to Bishop Borges, there was St. Martin de Pours and there's Benedictine. Yep. And those yeah. are kind of the, those are the three <laughs> that are going to give you comparable to each other education. That is going to be, you know, this, and, and, but my parents, could, I wanted to go to mercy so bad. Mm-hmm. All girls school, my, we couldn't afford it, right? Mm-hmm. But when I think about this experience, it's like I do remember us being required to apply to two or three high schools. I mean, two or three colleges mm-hmm. when we were in high school. But what I don't remember is a whole lot of support, no. right? I don't remember a whole lot of guidance. One of the things that helped me is by the time I got to my senior year, Danielle Johnson, who I'm still very good friends with, mm-hmm. she came back as a paraprofessional. And my volleyball coach. So you want to so know something I, crazy? Real yeah. quick. Six, six degrees of separation. My my boss, Montisa, uh, recruited Danielle to Aquinas. So Tisa and Danielle are really close. That's awesome. Because. <laughs> yes. See, that is crazy. So Danielle comes. She was a graduate of our high school. She came back. She's my volleyball coach. And what I appreciate is like she took interest in me, right? And mm-hmm. so there became this big sister mentor. And so I went to like I visited Aquinas with her. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to a couple of volleyball games, and that was literally the first time I had ever been to a college. You know what I mean? Outside of Wayne State, which just for me meant my dad, we spent a lot of time at the library in the museum downtown. Uh-huh. So you're by default kind of near Wayne State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had never like gone to a college for the sake of saying, this could be your future. I want to tell you how 
how much I didn't know. So I'm spending time with Danielle. So when we say we have to apply to three colleges, I applied to Michigan. Let me tell you why I applied to Michigan. Fab five. That's it. Okay. Okay. Um, I applied to Michigan State. Uh, it's another school in the state. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I applied to Aquinas because I well, had been here. I'll my story. Let's go. Go ahead. <laughs> and so when I apply to these three schools and I remember getting around the same, no one really helped do anything, guide us. Though we had a guidance counselor, it was just checking in. Did you apply to these schools or whatever? Mm-hmm. I got the, the um, I don't know which came first, but I knew that I was accepted to Aquinas in Michigan, right? And I just remember being like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, oh, what was her name? I see her face, but I can't remember her name. She gave me the craziest look I'd ever seen. And she's like, you don't know what you're going to, you're going to go to Michigan. That's what you're going to (laughs) do. I didn't know that there was a difference between the schools. You know, and this is no disrespect, but there is a difference between Aquinas Aquinas College and the University of Michigan Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um. But I didn't know that there was a difference. I just know I had been accepted. So that's what I mean by when we're talking about, you know, first generation students, it's not about capability, right? It's about not having information. And even if you have information, a lot of what is missing is guidance and Mm -hmm. examples. Like I've seen someone walk this path with success, therefore, I have a shot. So I, I lacked a lot of that, but we didn't have a lot of support in high school no, no. to kind so, of help us prepare for that. I, I I will be honest. It was, it was kind of a solo show. Um, I had, I had the support of my grandmother. I had the support of my family members, you know, to do well and to be a good student, but navigating that and what that looked like um, was definitely me just kind of trying to figure it out. Um, how did people ask me all the time, how did I end up at Central Michigan? So I joke, uh, my junior year, so another another good friend of mine uh, who actually went to Mercy, she went, she went on a black college tour her sophomore year, and she told me, you know, how much fun it was and this, that, and the third. So I was like, yo, I, I just wanted to go on on some vacation, on some trip stuff to like get out and kick it. At that time, I had no intentions of, of wanting to go to an HBCU. I hadn't totally thought about, you know what I'm saying, what I wanted to do for college. Um, but our first our first stop was Hampton. And when we got off the bus, I was like, this is it. Like this, it was just a, this is, this is it. This is where I'm going. This is the move. It's, it's on. So flash forward to senior year, I applied. I got accepted to Hampton. Uh, they threw me a couple bucks. And my grandmother was like, you ain't going to no GD Virginia. And I was like, what you mean? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what you don't understand? And so me, me and my grandmother, we had a we had a real good relationship in the sense that like um I wasn't a mama's boy. I and I'm gonna talk about that in, in reference to students later. Like I wasn't a mama's boy where where I ran to or ran up under, but we just had like a really good close relationship. But when I tell you that whole Hampton situation, LaShonda, a real talk for maybe about two weeks. It was like, good morning. All right, I'm on my way to school. <laughs> we was we was we was like beefed. And I remember mm-hmm. she she called my aunt over for reinforcements. And we sitting at the at the dining room table, and my aunt is like, You ain't going to no Virginia and da 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 da. 
you need to just go to Wayne State. And I was like, I ain't going to Wayne. I ain't filling out the app. And so long story short, when that that quote unquote discussion came to a close, it was, you got to stay in state. I was like, cool. I ain't going nowhere in the vicinity of the crib. And so all my <laughs> all my options became GV, Western, and Central. Mind you, I have never visited any of these schools. I'm just like, they not in Detroit. My mom, so my, my, my birth mom, my biological mom, we she lived in, in Ypsilanti at the time. And I was like, nope. Cause she right there by Eastern and, and U of M and now she lives in Ann Arbor. So I was like, Nope, I ain't going there. It's her and my sister right there. Oakland too close. Wayne too close. I need to shoot a move. Man. And one of the reasons why I felt the need to shoot a move, I love my family to death. My family is predominantly women. And this that's a lot of moms. And I felt like if I would have went to Wayne or if I would have went to Eastern, I don't think I could have grew into the man I am because I still would have been where you at and where you going and what you doing. It still would have been like the 13th grade. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was just something about Western. I got my acceptance and I was just like, ah, not really feeling it. And, and it came down to GV and it came down to Central. And again, not knowing in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, Central got a clinical psych program. Boom. I'm just, I'm going to go there. And I remember getting there for orientation in July. And if you've never been to CMU, (laughs) it's nothing. If you're coming from Detroit, which is a major city, leaving Detroit is literally nothing but cornfields on your whole ride. And then you kind of just arrive in this town. And there's nothing in the town but Central Michigan University and Soren Eagle Casino. And I remember getting there like, this ain't it. Like, I know I said this where I'm going, but, but this ain't it. Um, but it, it turned out to be, hands down, one of the best decisions I made in the, in the awesome and amazing experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's, I love, thank you for sharing the story because yeah. we all have a story and we all arrive somewhere, yeah. I feel, on purpose, even if it feels accidental. Um, yeah, yeah. And we haphazardly fall into it, you know, until a point you made, you know, to be clear, my parents were uber supportive, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. a lot of, well, yeah, a fair amount of first-generation students have supportive family, but support um, and, and encouragement and love still don't tell you how to do things. Exactly. And I feel like right. that is the big gap um, that's missing. So, so many people are traversing their ways haphazardly through this mm-hmm. experience, um, how do I know? Because we both just said it, right? Yeah. And this is where you work. So how does mental health play a role into how you provide services um, in higher ed for your students? Cool. So as a student advisor at the college, um, and I'm at a community college, compared to a four-year university where you have separate offices, so you would have an academic advising office, you would have a transfer office, you would have um, CAPS or uh, Counseling and Psychological Services. Um, I'm, or and, and I'm sorry, one more office would be like Career Services. I'm one-stop shop when a student comes to see me. Um, so I tell people all the time, what shows up on my screen and what shows up at my desk can be two different things. What do I mean by that? What shows up on my screen could be, oh, my one o'clock appointment and they're having issues with the bio class. 
But when they get in my office and what shows up at my desk, it can be depression. It can be anxiety. It can be basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, et cetera, um, not being met. And so being able to tackle those issues um, and helping students find resources and, and triaging those issues um, with students is, is what I do. I can't tell you how many times where, you know, I've glad I told a student like, yo, it's disrespectful for me to talk to you about this bio class when you got life happening. Like, on, we need yeah. to tackle that. We need to, we need to handle that first. Whatever, I know you're worried about your financial aid. I know you're worried about, you know, failing this class or this test or whatever. We can fix that, but we we got bigger fish to fry that 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 are on the front of the stove. We can we can move that bio back if I need to write you a letter, if I need to go, you know, talk to an instructor, if I need to go advocate for you in this particular office, that's no problem. But let me let me let you know that we got long term counsel. Let me let me get you set up with a case manager so that you can, you know, utilize the food pantry, whatever the case may be. And so it's it's a mix of me being on top of if I if I say it jokingly, is me being a mix of being on top of the DSM five, but then also being on top of like what's going on collegially and being able to 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 mix and, and merge the two. So that at first, that's awesome. I you literally <laughs> sitting here like, yeah. Um <laughs> I probably could have used somebody when, you know, I had an eviction note on my door my junior year and my lights were off. Like, that's part of my story, right? Mm -hmm. um, not knowing. So, one, there is a shame factor. So, to be honest, would I have utilized it? I don't know. But it would have been nice to know it was there. I but also... You know, go ahead. But you know what's crazy about that is that um, I spend a good portion of my time with, with students of color letting them know it's okay to use because like how you said it may have been there but would you have even used it um i can't tell you how many times like especially with a student of color especially with another black male where they recognize you know a plus b equals c so they know this is going on and this is going on and they recognize it's a problem um but how to how to combat that problem or going to therapy to solve that problem that's that's where battle is for me um and that's why you know i use the hashtag therapy is normal because i i work with students and i let them know like yo you know i, I explain the therapeutic process and i explain what it'll look like and i and i try to normalize it and, and try to take the stigma off of it um so that you know you don't have to to walk around it, we all walk around with enough baggage but if there's some place where you can sit that bag down and even begin to unpack it you know i'm gonna do what i can to let you know like yo these are the services um, that we offer. Yeah, I mean, so a few things. One, there is a person, period, who's advocating, saying these services are normal, utilize them, this is what they are. And then you have uh, students of color who see someone who resembles them and, and has some kind of shared heritage with them. You know, I was mm -hmm. thinking how that may have differed in my experience at the University of Michigan, where Black students made up a whopping, what, 8%? You know, mm -hmm. so I, I came from what, 98% black Detroit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where I can literally count on one hand how many white students I went to school with from kindergarten Same. to 12th grade. Um, and when you said that about black male teachers, so I had a, a um, in kindergarten through eighth grade, there was um, an administrator who was black. I had my first black teacher, uh, Miss Scott, in fifth grade. Like that was so instrumental. This woman was at my, um, 
graduation party from college, right? Mm. So we forged that. And then we got to high school and I had what, Miss Joyner? And, Ooh, and that Father I forgot about Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I said um, black male. You did say black male. You're off the hook, right? But that's, four. that's four people. And so yeah. you go to this environment. But what I also understand, so working, doing the work I do now in private practice, working with um, wealthy and affluent families, is mm-hmm. we weren't, I wasn't the only person who needed it. We just mm-hmm. had, it looks so different. You know, I'm walking around in this haze trying to figure it out. They, a lot of students are walking around having these absurdly unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. placed on them. And, you know, they have enough money to cover the wounds. I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm noticing is mm-hmm. that sometimes our first generation students, our lower income students, our, our students who come from marginalized communities, Mm-hmm. don't have the resources to cover the wounds. So they're more visible. Mm-hmm. And this is this is outside of the conversation of systemic oppression. This is just, they literally can't cover it. You can see it, right. right? You can see it on their faces. You can see it in their body language. You can see it in their interactions and engagements. But then people who have the resource of money, it don't mean they're healed or they're well. It just means they have enough resources to cover it because you're so mesmerized by what they're wearing or what they're driving that you mm-hmm. don't see the that they're presenting. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that anybody was getting this message of, hey, this is normal. Like mental health is a part of health and and wellness and and all of these things. So I am very, very, very glad um, that you are able to be that for your student. A question I have though, is like, I'm thinking like, this is awesome, but does everyone who would, and maybe at the school you're at, there's not a lot of them, but is there a, a requirement for some kind of counseling, social work, or some kind of degree where people can be that one-stop shop effectively? Or is it just kind of like, if you do, it's a bonus? Wait, so could you rephrase that one more time for me? So across higher ed, in your experience, you come from this dual position of being able to be a one-stop shop because you can, you understand the mental health aspect of it and you can attend to that. Is that, is that a job requirement? Or are you just, is are, are your students just super blessed to have you because you have that? Is higher ed requiring that? I guess is what I'm asking. I would say, I would say that the crazy thing is um, when you look at it from larger universities, um, many, many of your academic advisors um, have a counseling background. So if you just happen to, to stumble a, across one, then it is a blessing. Um, but like in our particular office, because we're a community college, it's, it's combined. Pretty much everybody on our staff has a master's in counseling with the exception of like, I think like three people and theirs is in, in higher ed. Um, the, the crazy thing is though, is that all universities, like even you at U of M, I know for a fact U of M has services. Um, and even when I do these talks on different colleges and I'm like, yo, do you know where your CAPS is at? Or do you know where, where you can go for counseling? I can't tell you how many times people go like, what? We got that. Where, mm-hmm. What building is that in? So it's, it's there, but it's 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 not utilized. And I would say it's underutilized, not just because maybe, you know, it's not promoted on on the college campuses, but if we gonna keep it 100, you know, us, us in the black community. Um, so let me back up. Us in the black community, but communities of color pretty much kind of believe the same thing. And what do I mean by that? So like in grad school, a lot of my research was like, why we don't go? Why don't we use 
why don't we use services? And the crazy thing is amongst African-Americans, Latinos, Asians, and Native Americans, the reasons are pretty much the same. It's just phrased differently. But essentially is what goes on in this house stays in this house. (laughs) Uh, Why you got to go talk to them people? They're going to think you crazy or they're going to think you come from crazy people or crazy family. So you don't want to shame yourself or shame your family. Um, And then they're not going to be able to relate. You know, the perception is, is that if you don't have someone who looks exactly like you and comes exactly from where you're from, that they're not going to be able to relate. And that's not true at all. And so, like I say, I even though we have it all up on campus and we have signage, until somebody has like that, that for real intimate conversation with a student, that's really when, in my experience, when they begin to like take it serious and, and want to utilize it as a resource. Even though we have all types of signage and all types of things that go out um, and email and, and things that utilize our services is is until you like break it down and go like yo this is what it's gonna really look like this is what your experience can look like um in my experience that's when people really decide to, to use it yeah so i mean what you're describing is something i talk about all the time and it's relationship mm-hmm. these things don't happen without relationship mm-hmm. and so a couple of things stigma yeah it's so real like it's it's yeah and i i i i am going to leave my soapbox underneath my desk tonight and not put it out because i've done it many times but it is real and i i that's when i when i said even if i knew what i have used it i don't know because of that stigma now let me tell you not a single person pointed me in the direction of anything resembling therapy but a whole bunch of people pointed me to the Yes, the <laughs> University of Corral. Hey, hey, went on tour, loved it. Right, I got connected to a, a, a group of Christian women in a Christian sorority. I got connected to a church on campus. I mean, people were so eager to point me to that, mm-hmm. but literally nothing. So I was an adjunct at a small Christian college here in Cincinnati. And um, I taught some psychology courses, but the one I appreciated the most was this. Um, what was it um, I forgot the name of it. It's so bad, but it's, it was an, it was a class for first year students coming oh, like in. First year experience. Hmm. Kind of like a first year experience class. Yeah, it was a first year experience class. So yeah, wrapped yeah. up in the first year experience. And when I was asked to be the adjunct, like one, it pays terrible. So when I thought about it from an economic perspective, it's like, okay, really, I had to say, am I willing to volunteer my time? And the reason I said yes. Is because one, this was the college that I had gotten my master from, my master's degree from, mm-hmm. and I was a student in the counseling center, mm-hmm. and so I would help go around letting people know there was a counseling center there. And you want to talk further? This is a Christian college, so you got stigma on top of stigma, right? Right, and so, it, so it, just this whole thing. But the reason I did is, and I said very plainly, I need people to see someone who looks like me and looks like them. And understand that this is okay, that this is a human experience, that you don't have to go to therapy, but let's talk about why you're not, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm going to force it on you, but once you dig down into why you really don't, you actually are trying to go to therapy. You're just trying to do it with your friend or with your pastor or with the deacon mm-hmm. or with your cousin. You you want therapy. You just don't want to go to the person who can actually help you because of all these things around it. And so that's what drove me into that experience for a couple of years of being kind of that beacon. And I keep it real. 
And they needed a person who was going to be a real, real live person in front of them to, you know, to have these conversations. So when you say it's those conversations that drive them, absolutely. Like I, that's yeah. it. It's the relationship with someone that they can trust to say, I wouldn't steer you wrong. Right. And I'm right. saying this would be a viable option. So for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. So I'm excited because <laughs> your students are getting what they need. That makes me excited. Um, and I love that there that there is a way that you know people in higher ed are realizing um, the need for having someone who understands mental health, mental wellness, and doing that. So I love that in that regard. Can you tell us a little bit? So you started off earlier saying that kind of your work is expanding outside the office. So just tell us a little bit about the other things um, right. that you're doing and other ways that you're showing up. So I've been doing um, different presentations uh, for different uh, organizations and, and different groups um, on mental health. Um, so I've, I've done some, I did like the base conference at UAD Jesuit. Um, I presented for Jackson, Jackson, uh, Jackson County NAACP. They had a, a mental health panel that somebody asked me to participate in and, and be on for that. Um, so definitely just just trying to advocate and, and spread the word that therapy is normal um, and, and to normalize that and to normalize and to, to kind of kill the stigma. Um, the other thing that, that has also happened uh, since we've been on quarantine is a, a good friend and a former coworker um, hit me up with an idea that she had in regards to doing like a, a web series um, where we would get um, therapists from all over um, who specialize in different areas and, and work with different groups um, and do like a weekly show to kind of talk about um, our mental health and our mental wellness um, during COVID-19. And so uh, my friend, Charlissa Pleasant, AKA Charlie, um, she and I started what's called the Healing Collective. And so uh, we had our first um, kind of welcome kickoff uh, last Wednesday, and then we'll be um, every Wednesday at eight o'clock um, on Zoom. We're trying to get this this FB Live going if it'll act right, but for sure we've got uh, our therapists lined up all the way until July to cover uh, a different topic. And so the therapists that we have lined up um, for this week is kind of covering relationships during COVID, not just intimate relationships, um, but relationships as a whole. I mean, during this whole quarantine experience. Um, people are spending an, uh, an abundance of time with people who you may not spend that much time with um, on the regular. And people are kind of rediscovering and figuring things out. Um, and again, that's not we're not just talking about spouses or significant others, but we're talking about um, relationships with friendships. We're talking about relationships amongst children. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll be covering that. And then if it's not next week, I feel like it's the I feel like it is next week. Um we also have a therapist that will be coming on to kind of discuss uh, the grief, the grief process. You know, someone posted on Facebook um, that they say, you know, dog coming on social media is just real rough right now because it just feels like a continuous online electronic obituary where it's just, yo, you know, my cousin, my teacher, my, my mom's, my auntie, you know, pray for me. We're going through it. Um, and so we're going to have the therapist on uh, to kind of cover that. And so we'll be looking at just the different intersections of life and across with, with COVID-19 and giving people a place to kind of discuss and open up. And so we reiterate that we're not doing therapy. 
Um, it's not a it's not a substitute for therapy, but it is a, a place to to have community and to be able to talk. Yes, and in case you skipped the disclaimer on the beginning of this podcast, I say the same thing. Okay, not a therapy, um, <laughs> education. But yeah, that is awesome. So good segue into Caleb, tell people how they can find you. If they're sure. intrigued, they have questions or they want to know more about the collaborations that you're doing. How can they find you? Oh, cool. So you can find me on Facebook. My name is Caleb Boswell. Um, I'm talented 10th 06 on Instagram and we are the healing collective on facebook and we're the healing collective on instagram as well awesome so as usual we will have his ads um on our show notes um and as we prepare to wrap up caleb i always like to ask my guests to provide some kind of little known interesting or fun fact about themselves that kind of gives this holistic picture of who the guest is so what you got for us oh uh, a little known fact well, it'd probably be a little known fact to your listeners, but a huge fact uh, that's a well-known one amongst my, my people. Uno, Uno is the game, okay? If if Uno was like Blackjack or poker, I would quit my job right now and you would see me on ESPN getting that bread. <laughs> so... <laughs> People get creative in quarantine. So you know, somebody over at ESPN ain't got no other sport. They might be trying to figure Bro, out how to make that happen. If Uno, if Uno was like Blackjack or Poker, I'd be like, yo, I got to catch this flight to Vegas real quick. I'm in this tournament. I'm about to get this bread real quick. Good to know. So, yeah, I mean, it was a little known fact to me. So I appreciate that. Uh, Caleb, I appreciate you so much for taking the time out to uh, be on the podcast and kind of share information with my listeners. I hope that if one of the things that came out of this conversation is um, some hope, you know, if anyone is listening and they know some seniors who are getting ready to go into college, you know, this is a rough time anyway, right? Because of just how weird it is and gradually, you know, just how life has changed, but hopefully some hope to know that there are services there. Um, And then, you know, now that people have more information, they can direct people towards, you know, more of that information. Mm -hmm. Uh, So thank you so much for being a guest. It was really good to catch up. Same here. I appreciate you for having me. I really, this was a great time. And I thank you for, for hitting me up. I appreciate it. No problem. So to all of my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in as always. Don't forget, if you would like to reach out to me, suggest a guest or a topic, you can reach me at www.thelaborsofluff.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget our YouTube channel. Every Thursday, we put out a Therapy Thursday video. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment, and share the podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.